RadioInfluence.com. Welcome into another edition of the MMA Report Podcast with Daniel Galvan. I am Jason Floyd. It is the middle of April already. We come in here after UFC 273. And of course, we've got UFC and Bellator this week. And also got some news of Henry Cejudo has re-entered the USADA drug testing pool. We'll talk about all that. Plus, got three interviews. You're going to hear from two fires. We'll be a part of the UFC card on Saturday. Trey Ogden and Kevin Krim. Of course, Trey Ogden making his UFC debut. Also, you're going to hear from Kai Kamako. Be a part of next Saturday's Bellator card down there in Hawaii. Taking on Justin Gonzalez. Had a chance to catch up with him. Daniel, uh, UFC 273 in the books this past weekend. Uh, I went out to watch it, um, you know, and part of me was kind of really intrigued to see what would the reaction be for Hamzat Chemaev. And, you know, look, the place I went to, uh, majority of the people were not in the building because the UFC fights were on. They were there uh, for, for other reasons, mainly uh, to uh, enjoy some cocktails and uh, take it, take in the DJ. But uh probably my biggest takeaway was was once the Hamzat Shemaev Gilberts fight was about to start you could tell more people were interested in the fights yeah Hamzat Shemaev when he makes that entrance man he just commands attention he just has that it factor and if they were paying attention before the fight started well as soon as that fight got on even if people were in that bar not to watch the UFC how can you not keep your eyes off the screen? I mean, that was one of the best fights we've seen of the year. It was an absolute war. And yeah, Bern Shemaev, it was, a, it was a, a fight that continues to elevate the star power and name value of Kamzat, but it also brought up Gilbert Burns. So uh, I do think this pay-per-view was something that we as hardcore fans were very much looking forward to. These two championship fights, Shemaev versus Burns, watching Mackenzie Dern take on Tisha Torres, but... It may not have been one that kind of jumped out to the casual fan. This was the type of event, though, where if you happen to watch Jemayev and Gilbert Burns, there's no way you are not coming away more invested in in not only Jemayev, but both these fighters, to be honest with you. The UFC product delivered once again on pay-per-view, which has been a trend we've seen for such an incredibly long time. Every time the UFC's on pay-per-view, you tend to get your money's worth. We have seen a lot of things in this mixed martial arts community, Daniel. But we saw a first this past Saturday. Chemayev just chilling on top of the cage while waiting for birds to make the walk. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. I've never seen that before. <laughs> that was uh, that was unusual, man. I He's just an unusual welterweight. He really is. He just, it stands out, especially when he's squared up with Gilbert Burns, who has fought at 155, how lanky this dude is. Yeah. I mean, this guy, realistically, if he is able to achieve the ultimate success at what welterweight and becomes champion quickly, you got to imagine he's going to get that fight against Adesanya if he is still that middleweight champion. But yeah, I mean, with Kamzat, this is a guy who marches to the beat of his own drum, even if maybe he's, you know, hitting his opponent after the bell. I mean, what a crazy moment that was in his corner after that fracas, I believe, to end the first frame. I, I will tell you, I felt like we learned more about Hamzat Chemaev. And I think heading into this fight, one of my questions was like, what happens if this fight gets dragged into the third round? Because we've not seen that throughout his career. And he had to weather some adversity. I mean, that shot Gilbert Burns landed at the end of the second round. 
that probably ends the night for a lot of welterweights in the UFC. I mean, it was an unbelievable uh, punch that he landed, but I, I feel like we learned so much about Hamza Shemayev. I think we learned a lot about Gilbert Burns as well. I mean, like to me, you know, and Dana had mentioned before the fight that kind of the target was Covington versus Shemayev on ABC. I think that's the, I, I think that's the right call right here. Chamaya, I mean, I don't think you need to rush him into a Kamar Usman title fight. Saying Kamar Usman gets past Leon Edwards, I think the the Covington matchup is a matchup that makes the most sense. Yeah, I think that's going to happen without a doubt. I mean, that's bold to put it on ABC. That's a main event on pay per view, to be honest with you. But on ABC, it, it's something where you're going to have a whole lot of eyeballs on on Chimaev. and if he is successful, that investment of putting him on. ABC is going to pay dividends because all those people who see that fight that could be another platform into superstardom, well, they are just going to become regular customers to the Hamzat Shemaev pay-per-view experience. Now, what did you learn from this fight when, when you watched it? It's his ability to weather adversity. The fact of things starts to go bad and he can still recover from that. Yeah, you're totally right. He, uh, Man, there were a couple moments in that fight where I thought, it was over mm-hmm. on both ends, to be honest yeah. with you. And and that was kind of a theme on that main card. He would go into Mackenzie Dern, nearly grabbing that arm off of Tisha Torres' body. But I agree with you. I think um, it was mostly positive for, for Hamzat. I think the one negative is the lack of uh, striking defense at times. I mean, at times he was just yeah. – he was right there for Gilbert Burns to land at will. And I don't know if there's anyone at welterweight – that's going to put down Chimaev in these next few fights. I don't know if anyone has the power to do so, but what they certainly can do is outpoint him, right? Mm-hmm. Like Colby Covington on the feet, when you look at his performance against Usman, I mean, he could he could certainly outpoint Chimaev on the feet. I, I think that's a real possibility. So that, to me, is the biggest concern moving forward as he continues to fight top five ultraweights and you know, Chimaev's going to fight top five guys until he loses a couple in a row. My biggest concern is his hit ability because that's the thing where Gilbert had success is the ability to hit Chimaev. Granted, it was one of those deals where in order to hit Chimaev, usually you had to be on the receiving end of a blow from him. And uh, like Chimaev, Gilbert Burns showcasing an insane ability to uh, to withstand punishment. I mean, it was, it was a situation where Gilbert Burns – won the crowd over due to his adversity and and people were booing Kamzat in the post-fight interview, which is a crazy situation, at least in the beginning. It's one of those fights after three rounds, you're sitting there going, damn, man, I wish we had two more rounds. I mean, look, you know, Gilbert's already calling for a five round fight against, against Hamzat. I mean, I think that, you know, the likelihood is it's going to happen at, at some point. You know, we, we talk about, you know, takeaways and like when you go out and, and you watch fights, whether maybe you, you go out with your friends who maybe are not quote unquote in that hardcore MMA community, hardcore bubble. And I'm thinking about people who are watching the prelims. And when they hear Mike Malott say that he's only guaranteed $10,000 for this fight, I wonder what those people think. Yeah, I think that's an embarrassing thing. And and I think for a lot of people, it's shocking to, to watch the UFC product and be like, damn, that's what he's going to take away. It, bro, I've been in this industry for a long time. It's still When he says that, it's still like, wow, $10,000 yeah. is still the minimum pay in the UFC. Good Lord. Yeah, it's like, Damn, I hope he wins that crypto.com bonus. You know, he places in the top three and 
Yeah, it's crazy to me that he didn't win any of the performance of the night bonuses. That knockout was the highlight in terms of um, craziness. I mean, I, I get why you give it to Volkanovski and Alexi Olenek. They certainly deserve it as well. But Malat's finish was just, it was it was highlight real worthy. He deserved that uh, $50,000 bonus without a doubt. Crazy, one of the craziest stats I saw after uh, UFC 273. When Alexi Olenek made his pro debut, Kay Hansen was not even born yet. That's amazing. That's crazy, bro. That's crazy. I mean, bro, and he he continues to go do this thing. It is yeah. like, first off, you want to talk about awful fight IQ, Jared Vandera? What are you doing, bro? I that was to to go into. The lion's den of Alexi Olenek is insane to me. It was, yeah, it was, uh, he, he put himself in a really bad position to get tapped out by a guy who's tapped out 47 individuals. Uh, now, man, I, uh, I'm i interested to see if Olenek is able to maintain this, if he's going to be the Tom Brady of MMA, uh, because he talks about fighting for maybe five to ten more years, and you talked about Kay Hansen. I mean, Kay Hansen's probably going to need to take a tour outside of the UFC in, in and, you know, she's so damn young. With, with that loss to Pierre Rodriguez, this may be her last fight there. I, I think it wouldn't be shocking if Kay Hansen goes out, fights, gets some more skills, gets some wins. And when she comes back three years from now, she might find herself on a card with Alexi Olenek again. Because apparently this guy has some type of blackmail on father time. I mean, his fight style <laughs> lends itself to aging gracefully. But it's amazing to hear about this 44-year-old talking about fighting for five to ten more years. It's like, bro, throw, throw about three overhand rights. You're about dead. And then he just you know pulls guard. And then, and then I don't know if you saw the video in the back, Jared Vandera is basically asking Alexio Linick to show him how he pulled off this submission. And old man Alex is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring your training partner over here. Pull, shows him how exactly how he did it. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. Just that's the wholesome content we come to love here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the Kay Hansen thing, uh, I, I think that she likely gets, gets released from this one. Still young. I mean, she's only 22 years old, you know, missing weight. I think to, if she didn't made weight, maybe she gets another opportunity to stay in the UFC. But I think her days are, are, are probably over there. Anthony Hernandez, man, he looked really good against Josh Friend. That, that one stuck out to me. Ian Gary, I don't think it was the showcase performance you expected, but still went out there and, and put it on there. You mentioned about Volkanovski. I mean, man, he just think, hey, thankfully Herb Dean's got a, uh, a pulse. To say, yeah, I need to stop this fight. Yeah, it's almost like we should give a performance of the night bonus to Herb Dean. I mean, I felt like it was just a phenomenal stoppage by Herb Dean. Man, Alexander Volkanovsky, like, beat up Korean zombies so bad. It was, like, the type of fight that makes you want to retire. And it basically made Korean zombie want to retire. That's how big of an ass whooping he put on him. I mean, this was, uh, I know after this fight, a lot of people are throwing out and, and one of them is Israel Adesanya. Is Alexander Volkanovsky the featherweight goat? It's hard not to watch this fight and think it. It's a little early, but you can see he's on the roadmap to join Jose Aldo. Because yeah. Aldo is the guy who's the featherweight goat. Um, he just needs a little bit more track record. But yeah, Volkanovsky went out and performed better than he has in the past. Granted, the opponent was worse than his previous opponent. Right? Like Korean Zombie is just a worse opponent than Ortega. Uh, man, it, it was very sad, though, watching Zombie because I'm like, I want to see this guy fight so much more because he has one of the best entrances 
in the entire sport when he comes out to zombie by the cranberries. But this was a situation where Volkanovski elevated his game in the same time Korean zombie came out looking worse than he ever has before. In addition to the technique, what stood out to me was how Volkanovski, maybe much like Aaron Donald in the NFL, has seemingly upgraded his speed, which is very hard to do in your 30s. Uh, the, the, the ceiling is limitless, and I think for a lot of people watching this fight, it's hard not to look at Volkanovski, think about the fact that this guy used to weigh 200-some pounds, and think about the idea of him trying to be a double champion because he is cleaning out 145. There are, some, there are plenty of great options next, don't get me wrong, but he is setting himself above everybody else in this weight class. I think the most intriguing option for me would be the trilogy matchup against Max Holloway. But look, yeah. Henry Cejudo's re-entered the drug testing program. So is he looking to fight a featherweight? That's what he's he he is talking. He he is going for the forty five pound title. Now now it, maybe yeah. he's at a point where he's been living the uh, the good life <laughs> and and cutting down to thirty five or twenty or twenty five probably is not an ideal situation there. Time will tell if the UFC can get a, a financial agreement with Henry Cejudo. I mean he's kind of made it clear he's looking for big money. Um, but I mean look if you told me they were going to book Volkanovski for Cejudo, I'm down for that fight. I'm down to watch that. I would say out of all the possible matchups, you know, Arnold Allen's name is out there. How can you not throw out Calvin Cater's name? Mm-hmm. Out of all the possible matchups, if I'm the promoter, the number one fight I'm doing is Cejudo versus Volkanovski. Simple as that. That, to me, is the biggest pay-per-view attraction out of all the potential featherweight challengers for Volkanovski. Cejudo comes in as with the pedigree of, of leaving the sport on top. And... uh He's going to talk a big game. He's going to do a hell of a job promoting this fight. Suhuda Volkanovski is the fight to make, and the UFC should go about doing that. You know who the forgotten guy in this division is? Who? Zabit Magomed Sharapov. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we'll see what happens with him. If he comes back, there's another guy to throw into the mix there. I'd love to see him and, and, and Kater rematch in a five-round fight. I think in a five-round fight, that, that fight looks a lot different than it did in, in a three-round fight. And back when they had that fight, um, my understanding was that the Zabit camp had no interest in a five-round fight, which I thought was kind of interesting, especially mm-hmm. that Calvin was a guy stepping up on short notice to, to step up there. Sterling and Jan, close fight, not a robbery. Initially watching it, I thought it was Sterling. Watched it a second time. I scored for Peter Jan. Uh, basically, okay, so we're talking about one round. We're talking about round one. Correct. Two and yeah. three, obviously Sterling. Four here, and five. Here's the thing. Jan. Yeah. A 10-9 round one is not what 10-9 round two is. Yes. If we're scoring this on pride rules, Aljamain Sterling wins this fight in my book. Yeah. He, I mean, he had the most dominant round, and he nearly had the man finished. Yeah, I mean, look, and, I mean, and if people have not seen this Ray Longo clip, when he's like, look at that MFR, look at him. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, yeah. oh, my God. I mean, you talk about, I mean, like, I mean, look, Ray back in the day when he had uh, the, the line with uh, Chris Wyatt punch a hole in his effing chest. I mean, this line is straight up there. Yeah, dude, hats off to the UFC production crew because – you know, that was apparent watching it live. I know it's hard not to – whenever you're out in a bar atmosphere, you're not going to get all that. But for me, when I'm watching it live, you get that in the live experience, dude. The UFC crew does a phenomenal job of mixing in the in-cage audio to help tell that story as it's oh, happening. Yeah. And, yeah, Ray Longo, oof. Man, 
What a way for Algerian Sterling to win. I mean, this guy continues to like, like not, he's never in a position to where he's going to gain fans, bro. Like this poor guy, this poor guy, major underdog against Peter Jan, put some respect on his name. He goes out here and he got out wrestled last time out and he changed the game in two and three. He flipped it on its head. He deserves respect, but because this was a close decision, it could have gone either way. People are leaning towards Jan. I don't, I don't know if it was Joe Rogan or not. It was kind of a it was a comment that was on the edge, but I believe he said uh, he said like you know it's crazy when uh, we're in Florida and they're rooting for the Russian over the American fighter. Like that's what he said, and I'm like Joe, you're on thin, you're on like a razor, you're like on a on a razor wire with that comment, buddy. But it's kind of true to be honest with you. No, but yeah. yeah, for Aljo, he continues to be the quote unquote bad guy. Uh, even though he absolutely proved himself as a deserving champion. I mean, Jason, like, I know they were going towards Sterling Dillashaw, but I don't know. I, I think Sterling Yon is probably where I would go again. I mean, here, here's the problem, okay? So if you look at the top five challengers, so you've got Yon, Dillashaw, Aldo, Sanhagen, Font, and then you got Marab sitting there. I don't know how many people in that top five really want to fight Marab. Like you, you got Jose Aldo's already been destroyed by Peter Yan, so no need to see that that matchup. So we've already had Sanhagen Yan. Like it, it's kind of like you know how how does this window play out? I mean, obviously injury situation. I don't mind the Dillashaw thing. I'm like kind of indifferent on it. Yeah, I could see. Uh, I could see if you're indifferent on it. I think you got to do a trilogy fight. Man, I would kind of like to see. Uh, I mean, obviously. I feel like they were going. They're going to do Jan Marab. Ooh, that is a that could that fight could be for the bantamweight championship. That's a good one. Uh, are they are they ever gonna freaking pull the trigger on Cruz and Aldo? Dude, that'd be you talk about legacy fight. That's a, that's a straight up legacy fight. I mean, you could do Cruz Aldo, uh, Dillashaw and Sterling and Jan Marab, and I think. If you're a fan of the UFC Bantamweight division, they're going to give you a whole lot to love with those three fights. And I want to say they've booked Rob Font in a fight already. I am not aware of one. I don't know. Uh, Chito Vero. Oh, Chito Vero. And what's Pedro doing? Does he? He's I mean, he's lost two in a row, but yeah. he was in attendance there. Yeah, it's a good fight. The Chito Vera Rob Font fight, but you know, Bantamweight division is pretty exciting. You know, it, it's a division that you really gotta you know throw some flowers on. I mean, look, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, look, it's like you said, round four and five, no question. It was for Peter Yon. Uh, you know, I don't look at it as a robbery. I just think it's a close fight, um, you know, between two guys. And it was a great matchup there uh, between those two guys. Of course, that's UFC Whoa, Vegas. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, go ahead. Bro, put some respect on Mackenzie Dern's name, my man. We got to talk about that real quick before we move on. I mean, this woman's strawweight division is like sneakily like a top five weight class in the UFC in terms of intriguing names. And you really look at it like, bro, like Dern, Marina Rodriguez, you got Rose and Joanna, you got Zang. Like this is a damn good division. And and Dern adds her name to it. I don't know what they do with Mackenzie Dern next. So they're doing Joanna Whaley, the rematch there. So you got Carla and Rose. I expect Rose to win that one. And so it's like, to me, Marina Rodriguez would be the next fighter in line for a title shot. But you can't. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She's already got a win I over think, McKenzie. I think Dern has to fight the loser of Rose and Carla. Yeah. 
And yeah, and, and it was, and that was I, that bro, was it was, uh, John Hannick was talking about this. So I guess I came up in, in their fighter meetings from uh, the strength and conditioning coach that McKenzie Dern has been working with the past couple of years, how she's taken her body percentage fat, body fat percentage, if I can say that correctly, down <laughs> from 22% to 11%. Wow. That's yeah, remember, remember, there was a time where that was always kind of a question with her is would she make weight on the scale? Well, and, and the one thing I was thinking of is, like, she would be an interesting fight against Shevchenko um, because of her ground game. But obviously, she would get pieced up on the feet. But, you know, her stand-up's improving. Yeah. But, yeah, she uh, she performed better. And I just wanted to mention that before I move on. But, yeah, it was a great night of fights, Jason. Uh, before we get into UFC Vegas number 51 and Bellator 277, I'll let you hear a pair of interviews with two guys who are going to be a part of UFC Vegas 51 on Saturday. You're going to hear from Trey Ogden first, and then you hear my conversation with Kevin Kroom. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man who will make his UFC debut, UFC Vegas 51. Trey, man, as always, uh, appreciate time. Uh, I know I was uh, listening to another interview you did, uh, three weeks notice here. And you know, kind of interesting because your opponent, when I think of him, I, I think of somebody who wants to get to the ground, wants to kind of make this a little bit of a, a jiu-jitsu match. And, but as you uh, got this fight, you were actually going into a jiu-jitsu tournament. Yeah, I was training for uh, uh, my first match at Black Belt um, against a good local guy. Uh, so yeah, that was fun and great timing for me. I found out the, that we had the fight for sure. Like the night of the, the grappling match. So it was good for me. It was kind of short notice, but it was like, I was already in shape. So. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, it's been some time since uh, you, know, you had that fight that ultimately uh, got you your, your UFC contract. I mean, was it just kind of a, uh, you just been kind of sitting around just kind of waiting for the phone call? Yeah, I mean, I haven't been sitting around, but I've been waiting for the phone call for sure. Like, uh, um, you know, originally I thought it was going to be like February, March is what they were talking, but it is what it is. And uh, then uh, I had asked to be, I, I still didn't have anything booked, you know, like it, like mid-March. And I was like, you know, I'd really like the short notice in April. So, um, so I asked for that and then that's what happened. So uh, I was in shape and ready for it and like hoping for this. And so uh, the date is like perfect. Couldn't be better. Were you familiar with Jordan before you, you even got the call about his name? Yeah, I had seen his last fight uh, live when he did like the reverse triangle. Um, so I, I knew who he was, but I, I had to like, I wasn't like crazy familiar with him, you know? You know, when I think of you, I, I think of a well-established martial artist. When I when I think of Jordan, I look at a guy that is very still very young in his career and, and, and is evolving his skills. Is that the way you view him? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think he's still learning on the job. Um, and I think that I've kind of refined my process a little bit more than him or quite a bit more than him. And uh, I've been fighting longer than him and I have a lot more fights than him. And I think I've fought better competition than him. So um, I definitely think that I'll be the more veteran fighter and the more skillful fighter. You know, does it make it, is it an easier matchup because you just know like there, there's one certain aspect of the game he's going to try to get to? Um, I, If anything, that kind of makes it awkward to me because it's like you're like anticipating like the <laughs> shot because you know he shoots so much. So it's like you don't want to get tunnel vision on that. So, uh, uh, you know, I've trained specifically for certain things that I, I think I need to sharpen up, you know, specific to this match. But other than that, I'm just going to let my instincts find him. And uh, get in there and just let let my instincts find him, and not try to expect one thing or or another. But I definitely think we'll be grappling. I I like to grapple too. So, 
was there a point maybe earlier in your career where you had gone to a fight and, and you were co- completely expecting your opponent to do something in particular and then they just didn't do it? Well, yeah. Uh, the, the first one that pops in my mind when you said that is Anthony Bacom. Uh, when I fought Anthony Bacom in LFA, uh, he had fought like all of his fights southpaw. Except one time he came out orthodox and he got knocked out in like the first round. So I'm like, for sure, this dude's a southpaw. Like his last seven fights in a row, southpaw. And uh, the guy I fought before him was a southpaw. So um, I was like, I had trained like six months for southpaws. And Anthony Bacom came out and fought me orthodox the whole fight. And I just remember like, I noticed it like right away. Like in the first round, I was like, oh my gosh, he's an orthodox. And then he never switched. I was like, I just thought it was hilarious. But it didn't affect me at all, you know? Um, I just went into doing that. So, but, uh, I did think it was funny. Did you say anything after the five? Like, Hey man, um, no, I didn't even think about it. <laughs> no, I didn't even think about it, but, uh, yeah, pretty interesting. That was his last fight. He hasn't fought since. So, uh, I don't know if that's, if he was planning on being orthodox from now on, or if it was just something he saw with the matchup that he thought or what, but it's, uh, it teaches you not to go in with too many expectations. This fight will be in the apex, smaller cage, but I mean, relatively not many people in the building. Will that be weird for you? Well, the only thing I think might be weird is like, uh, that, like being able to hear the commentators might be weird to me. That's like the (laughs) one thing I've thought that was, that's kind of weird, especially the first time, you know, but, uh, um, like, once the fight starts, I don't really ever hear the crowd or notice the crowd or anything. I just hear the corners and my opponent's breathing. And that's like kind of like where my whole world starts and stops. And then as soon as the fight's over, like I zoom back out and like the crowd's like there. So I don't know that, um, I don't know if during the fight, this will matter at all. So I've done MMA play by play. And the weirdest part of it for me is when the action is literally right in front of your broadcast area. And I'm like, okay, don't say anything stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of <laughs> weird. Cause you'll see like guys in the UFC are almost can be like coached by the, by the commentators almost, you know, they could almost be cornered by him if they're close enough to him. And uh, it does make a strange dynamic. I feel like the commentators, if it's silent should like be like back off the cage a little bit, you know, but, uh, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I mean, we've seen so many guys be like, yeah, I heard you. I know. <laughs> of course. Yeah, for sure. So it is, it is, it is interesting. But, um, like if I was like training in the gym and people were like, I was in a sparring round and someone was like talking about the round, like it wouldn't impact the round at all. So I don't think that it would be anything that's really anything other than just interesting, you know, just different. Do you like if your opponent talks to you, maybe talks a little trash during the fight to you? Well, like uh, JJ Okonovich found out is like, I'm never in here making any, anything like kind of personal like that. Like I'm pretty martial artist about it, but the wor- the last thing you want to do is fucking piss me off. <laughs> so as soon as you make me mad, I like become a demon. And uh, so like, he, he like talked shit to me at weigh-ins and tried to like, like, I think it's like when someone's talking shit to you, they're like trying to find a chink in your mental armor. Yeah. And like, that is not like, it's like, if you engage my ego in that manner, it's never gonna like, I'm just going to double down on that, you know, but uh, I don't mind one way or another. I haven't had too many people really talk, talk to me in the fight, but I put a lot of pressure on people when I fight too. And I fight at a pretty good pace. So you have to be, most of them are just trying to breathe. (laughs) 
so I know James is a big trash talker. He he, he talks about it, this yeah. and he and he says he loves when his opponents trash talk, which made me think yeah. in some sparring sessions, does James maybe try to trash talk to get the best out of you? <laughs> James talks. Yeah, I, we uh well I I talk a lot. We talk a lot more shit in practice, I think, especially mm-hmm. if you're comfortable with your training partners. Um so and that's fun, you know, and just like kind of narrating the rounds or like uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's all in good fun, but absolutely. Kraus gets swagging when he's talking. <laughs> uh is there a particular way you, you see um ultimately the victory coming in this one? Yeah, I'm gonna submit Jordan Levitt. I'm pretty confident in that. Do you have a favorite submission? Just in general? Well, I'm a big fan of chokes because of the finality of it. Okay. So in general, like tactically, I like that there's no, like, like someone could get their arm broken. So win a fight, like it does happen or like not tap. Right. And like, um, but you cannot do anything about being choked to sleep. So, um, you know, chokes are definitely my favorite. So I'd have to say rear naked choke, but then like when I'm just like training, you know, like in the gym, like I freaking love hitting Kimura's like, that's okay. one of my favorite like moves. You know what I mean? Um, but there's like, uh, you know, like a refined co- competition arsenal, like I'll, I'll go for a Kimura, but it's not usually there quite as much, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. We and talk- in the gi, in the gi, I like the bow and arrow choke is my okay. favorite. Cause when you choke him, do you know the bow and arrow choke? No. So it's like, so it's like, okay, you're on their back. It's the rear naked choke again. You reach around, you okay. grab their collar but then you kick off to the side. So like they're like this and you're like this sideways and your legs are wrapped around them and you're stretching the collar across and you're like leaning back. So like you're like an arrow and you're like bowing them. <clears throat> but what's nice about this choke is their face is like right there. So you get to look at their face. Like, you know. <laughs> so I just love it because you get to make them suffer and then you get to watch them get all choked. <laughs> so would you rather, like in general, it is it- – would you rather win by submission because you're physically your opponent is saying, okay, I'm done, as opposed to a TKO where the ref is coming in to stop the fight? Um, well, I like when they don't tap, so I get to leave them a body. So that's my favorite. Okay. So thank you, Okanovich, for that. I got to leave Uncle Dana a body. But uh, I don't mind. You know, um, generally my ground and pound, like, leads to chokes. Mm-hmm. Like, so, like... Um, I position in a manner in which like you're either going to sit here and get TKO'd or the direction you're going to go to get out of it is going to put you where I want you to choke you. And then I let them pick and everybody seems to pick the choke. Awesome. We get to see if that choke is going to happen here. UFC Vegas number 51, Trey, as always, I appreciate time. Of course, uh, let me know anything follow on social yeah, media and anything else you want to mention, man. Yeah. Uh, marathon underscore MMA on Instagram. And then uh, shout out to native Hem company. I'll get MMA. We'll get you 20% off. Awesome, man. I appreciate the time and look forward to seeing the fight, man. Yeah, thank you. Joining me now here on the MMA Report, a man who steps back inside the Octagon UFC Vegas number 51, Kevin. As always, man, uh, appreciate time. How's things been, man? For sure, man. Appreciate you. Uh, things are going really well, really well, man. You know, I was looking at your uh, Instagram feed and there's one post you had that just stuck out to me. Not It's it's kind of fire-related, but in a way, maybe it's more about after the fight. You said, 14 days till I trade these abs in for a dub, a milkshake and a cheeseburger, which made me think, is milkshake and cheeseburger the go-to after fight meal for you? Yeah, I mean, it's like like uh, burger, milkshake, and french fries are like my favorite meal ever. They can be the go-to always. So, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, man, and I can't wait. I've, I've been on a diet hardcore for about seven weeks. So, 
Yeah, man. Well, what's the hardest part about the diet for you? Just not, you know what I mean? Like, I, I like to be able to eat anything. I'm, I'm the type of person that's like, I don't even want things until I can't have it, you know? Like, if, if I couldn't, I mean, if I could eat whatever, like, I probably wouldn't eat that bad. But it's just the fact that I can't have it. It upsets me. You know, of course, the last time we saw you was back in January. Was that just kind of a situation of, uh, you know, once you got back to back to uh, to Missouri, it was right back into the gym to kind of, uh, you know, get that, that chip off your shoulder a little bit? I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't stopped training for like the last year, really. <laughs> was there any takeaways from that last fight that kind of have uh, evolved into this camp? Uh, I mean, I think uh, I showed a lot of improvements. I, I I'm, I'm pretty happy with my performance. Obviously, you know, uh, didn't go didn't go the way I, I'd like. Uh, three days notice, you know, what are you going to do? Um, but uh, I think I showed a lot of improvements, and I, you know, believe that, uh, you know if I go out there and fight just like I did, I'll do extremely well, and I'm going to do even better. So, can't wait. If in the future you get offered a fight on three days notice, would would is your mindset different? No, no, no. I mean, you know, I need to get I need to get a win under my belt. You know, I mean, I, I just lost two back to back, so uh, I I w- I was going to be smart this one. You know, uh, I would have taken a short notice fight immediately, but uh, I get another couple wins. Let's go, man! I don't care. I'm always down. I'm always in the gym, so it doesn't matter, you know? You know, obviously you're a veteran of this game. Uh, is it one of those things that no matter what the result is of the fight, that it automatically becomes rearview mirror pretty much just a couple of days after the fight's over? Uh, I mean, uh, they all have their ups and downs, you know, uh, but, you know, when you step in on a uh, short notice like that, you know, I mean, I, I think I performed really well. You know, there's nothing, nothing to be uh, ashamed of. Uh, if I had have performed that well, you know, yeah, I probably would be a little, little bit upset and a little hurt about it. But uh, no. In terms of where you were at as a martial artist back when you made your UFC debut, and to where you're at now, what's the biggest difference you see in yourself? Uh, I don't know, man. I'm a, I'm a lot more calm. Uh, uh, it's like uh, I know now. You know, like I mean, it's like a, there's a lot of like energy and wondering how to how to do it. You know, before and I don't know. I feel like I've just found my style, and I uh, uh, I'm more comfortable in there. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, I, I've I've been at, at, at the pinnacle of the sport, you know, a few times, uh, uh my, you know, uh, it, it's not as earth shaking as an event. Um, I've been here before, so that's just allowing me to, uh, be more calm, more collected and, and, um, more strategic, you know, uh, I used to just go out there and just fight fight people, you know? And, uh, I think now, now I'm setting things up a lot better. In terms of, of being calm, is, is that just something you've kind of had to battle throughout your career? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think being calm, I've had to battle my whole life. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, uh, I, I think my last fight was like the first time I've actually been like uh, really like comfortable and, and just fine in there. And uh, yeah, man, so I'm really excited to go out and, and do the same thing with full camp. And of course, you're taking on a opponent here, kind of similar. You know, he's uh, with having four fights uh, in the UFC. As you look look at Alatang, what what is what sticks out to you about uh, what you're expecting to see from him? Yeah, uh, well, uh, he is six five. I'm mean, sorry, sorry, five. <laughs> <laughs> that is not six five. Good lord! Uh, oh man, uh, he is five six five five, something mm-hmm. like that, I believe. So uh, definitely have a good height height advantage. Uh, also, I believe his reach is like sixty six inches. So uh, I'm like seventy seventy three and a half, something like that. So I got like seven seven inches of reach on him, seven and a half. Um, quite a bit of height on him. Uh, you know, I mean, I plan on just jabbing him to death, staying really long. Uh, use use my God-given attributes to my, you know, uh, ability uh, for this weight class. You know, most I feel like most people at this weight are a lot of people are around his size, uh, and so yeah, man, I just plan on being really long and strong and uh, staying jab heavy and one two one and people to death. You know. I think one of the things of when we're talking about a height and, and reach advantage, I think we always naturally kind of look at the the positives of that when you are the fighter that that has that that longer advantage. Is there any big negatives for you? I mean, is it simply an equation of okay, I know this guy's got to get inside and he's probably going to push some things and, and maybe potentially take some chances. Yeah, I, I mean, I I, I believe that's how it has to be. Uh, if I, if I do my job correctly, uh, I, I will go out there. I will violently control range. I'll pick him apart and I'll set up my finish. Um, by, by doing that, uh, he has to run into something. Uh, you, you know, he can either stay outside of my range or he can come inside. And so, uh, every chance he, he, is going to come inside. I'm going to hit him with something, let him run into something, have him be thinking about something. Uh, he will get desperate and, you know, we'll have to go, go from there. But as long as I keep my feet moving well and my jab hand strong, we're good to go. For you, is this fight game more mental than it is physical? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's a, a, a twist up, you know, on both sides. Uh, I heard like a, a quote a long time ago that like uh, the the training is ninety percent mental and ten percent physical, and then the fight is ninety percent mental and ten percent physical. Uh, I I don't, I don't know a hundred percent on that, but I think that seems to be pretty accurate. Um, it's not mentally hard. I mean, the hardest thing about your day in and day out is getting up and going to the gym when you don't want to, you know what I mean? But when you've been doing this for 15 years, that's just kind of what you do. So, uh, so yeah, mentally it's not, it's not that difficult. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it it can be, it can be difficult to get in the fight, but I think as I'm getting older, more, more seasoned in the game, I'm realizing that mean it's just, don't overthink go out there and do it that you know like go out there and jab them get your front hand popping move your feet and it's gonna it's gonna work out you know on fight day are you superstitious 
Man, I think uh, after so many fights, it's really hard to be superstitious. You know, uh-huh. like I, I, a million years ago, I had some stuff I used to do, and then like, you know, it just happened. You know, I mean, I was so long ago. No, I'm not. Uh, I just like to wake up and have a good time. You know, <laughs> I, I just I remember it was a couple of years ago. Aaron Pico had said to me, he's like, even going back to my wrestling days, he goes on on competition day. I will not step on a red line. A lot of red lines around, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> he's like, I he's like if, you're, if you're on like basketball courts and stuff, that makes sense. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, but I, but then some guys will say, you know what? I probably do the same stuff before every fight day, but I just don't realize it. Yeah, I mean, I for sure put on music and dance at some point. Okay, every fight. So, I mean, that's not a superstition. That's just how what I do when I'm having a good time. You know what I mean? Uh, like, <laughs> all right. I mean, let, let's just say we're having a good time. What, what's the? Uh, is there a go-to song that you're going to pop up? Uh, I don't know. It depends. I think uh, I, I listen. I like to listen to a lot of James Brown fight okay. day. A lot of James Brown. A lot of funk. You know. That's awesome. That's awesome. Of course, everyone's going to be able to see your fight here. UFC Vegas number 51, of course, on ESPN+. Plus. Kevin, as always, man, I appreciate time. Of course, uh, let me know anything you on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, follow me, Kevin Kroom underscore UFC on all the things. Uh, big shout out to my team, James Krause, uh, Glory MMA, my management company, Iridium, Joe Wooster, Jason House. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having, for having me on. And uh, heck yeah, guys. Thank you. And that was my conversations with Trey Ogden and Kevin Kroom. Of course, Trey Ogden making his UFC debut on Saturday against Jordan Levitt. All Kevin Kroom will be in the opening matchup against Haley Alatang, a part of that one. And, of course, uh, but, you know, Daniel, as I look at this weekend's MMA, Friday's Bellator card's way better than Saturday's UFC card. I yeah, said it. it. No, I mean, obviously, Bellator's got the best fight of the weekend. It's not even close. I mean, it's a great right. one two punch combination. It is, bro. It is. I mean, yeah, McKee Pitbull, Anderson Nemkoff. And then, in addition to that, Aaron Pico is always, to me, must see TV. And then, you know, Lennon Vassell, Timothy Johnson is not going to be a sexy fight, but uh, the top three are good. I got a crazy stat for you here. I was looking at this earlier uh, today. So Aaron Pico was initially supposed to take on Jeremy Kennedy. Jeremy Kennedy had to pull out due to injury. So Adley Edwards stepping up here on short notice over on best fight odds. So apparently bet MGM had a line on the Pico Kennedy fight at one time. I was floored by this. Aaron Pico was a minus 750 betting favorite against Jeremy Kennedy. Wow. I think it's one of those things where no one's putting money on Jeremy Kennedy and, and Pico's kind of like the, the Dallas Cowboys, right? Yeah, and by the way, against Adley Edwards, he, he's a 10-to-1 betting favorite. Yeah. He, uh, that, I that, just I saw that. I was like, holy cow, that is a huge number. Yeah, I don't know if, you know, Pico's got so much potential, but I don't know if he's validated that uh, amount of potential quite yet. So I want to correlate... But, but, I mean, look, we all know this. Best fight of the weekend is AJ McKee, Patricio Pitbull. There, there's no question about it. But I want to relate that fight to Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan. Heading in that fight, I'm guilty as can be. I didn't give Aljamain Sterling much of a chance. I feel like heading into this fight on Friday night, 
not a lot of people are giving Patricio Pitbull a lot a much of a chance because of how the first fight went. Yeah, and the thing is, I think that's unfair to Patricio Pitbull. You look, Adrian McKee won the fight in a couple minutes, maybe less than two. But in that fight, what happened? Well, AJ literally rocked Patricio with his first significant strike of the fight with that kick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Landed a combination, thought he won the fight, <laughs> did not win the fight, ended up locking on a guillotine choke, getting the tap. It was a phenomenal highlight reel win for AJ McKee, but I don't know if you can watch that fight and and, and it tells you that much about what's going to happen in fight number two. So there is a lot of value on the betting line of Patricio being a plus 250 dog, a plus 270 dog in in various places. I would really want to put down some cheddar on Patricio. I'm picking AJ McKee to win this fight. But Patricio Pitbull, I don't know, actually. How, how do you pick against AJ McKee right now? I mean, like, look, and you fast, you, you rewind this podcast a couple of months ago. I was like, how the hell do you pick against Patricio Pitbull at this point? Like, look, I just don't think you can bet against AJ McKee right now. Yeah, I know. It's and AJ McKee yeah. has clearly gone to the Shell Sonnen uh, school of promoting himself because this fight hasn't even happened. He's already promoting his next fight against Patricio Pitbull. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna pick Patricio on this one. The more I think about it, and I tell you why, I do not want to fight Patricio Pitbull when he's coming off a loss. I mean, every single time in Bellator he's lost, he's come back better than ever. And between him and AJ, I'm more confident in this dude's focus being lasered in on doing one thing, and that's beating McKee. Yeah, I mean, I think it's he's got to be come out patient. It, it was interesting the press conference on uh, on Monday, where you know, I mean, you think back to the first time these two guys met, it was a very heated. I mean, there was jabs thrown at each other's families, you know, and, and it was very subdued for the most part. Outside of AJ and uh, Patricky getting it, Patricky stayed all the way in the back of this press conference. They start getting into it. Um, you know, I mean, look, it's for Patricio. I think it's about staying patient, but to me, it's hard to go against AJ McKee. I mean, I mean, look, if AJ McKee goes out and does what he did to Patricio in the first fight, you know, there's going to be people sitting there and probably Scott Coker would be the first one to say this, that AJ McKee is potentially the best featherweight in the world. I'm not sure I'm willing to go there quite yet, but if you told me fancy matchmaking Volkanovsky McKee. I'd probably pick AJ McKee. Man, that's a great fight. Oh, God. I would probably pick Volk. I really would. It's tough, though. It's really tough, Jason. But, man, coming off that fight against Korean Zombie, dude, like, and the fight against Ortega, I mean, Volkanovski's freaking unreal. And, like, he's been in these 25-minute scraps. He, he He's... It's tough. Like at the end of the day, AJ has a has a case because his record is unblemished, and every time he's had that opportunity, like he took on the best fighter Bellator has, and he ran through him. If he does it again, Jason, you're right. You can't unequivocally say either guy is the best dude. I think because of the longer track record against elite competition, I'm putting my money on Volkanovski. Like I feel like he would have that mature game plan, that patient approach, and between the leg kicks and whatnot, that would give him a lot of success. But you know, AJ McKee with the win here continues to put him in rarefied air, where 
AJ McKee is in a position to be recognized as one of the top fighters on the planet, regardless of weight class. That's what's on the line in the main event of Bellator 277. Let me throw a true false at you. True false. Corey Anderson's best light heavyweight the world with win on Friday night. <laughs> oh, Bro, gosh. I might say true. I might say true. I mean, the, the problem that he faces is the fact of two years ago, he got knocked out by Jan Blachowicz. But you tell me the Corey Anderson we have seen in Bellator right now, I don't think I would pick you know Jan or Glover to beat him right now. I, I really don't, and I'm not. I, I mean, would, I'm just I being would, honest. I would probably pick Yuri to beat him. <laughs> I would pick Prochaska. So I had uh, so Ryan Thomas MMA. I put this out there earlier today, and he says I've got my own bias, but I'm favored Nimkov as the best for a while now. Ankalaev and Yuri are only two I consider on par or arguably better. But I need persuading if the argument was right this second. I mean, look, it's and look, I think Nimkov is an amazing talent. But I mean, Corey Anderson, I mean, first off, this guy, hey, he's getting paid. He has gotten the bag. I mean, he talked about it this week. He's like, he's like, look, you know, he goes, I made a what was the best decision for my family, which was a.k.a. I went out and took the most money on the table. But like, look, if he goes out there and if he puts on a dominating performance, it's a legitimate question of whether or not he's the best light heavyweight in the world. Yeah, he's already in the mix amongst that elite tier, and it's a pretty big tier of 205ers that are trying to be the king of the mountain. And right now in the UFC, it's Glover. Right now in Bellator, it's Nemkov. But neither of them have that John Jones-type lead or or the type of feeling we had whenever guys like, you know, Leoto or Evans or Liddell were champions. It's still really unclear who the best 205er is on the planet. It's going to become more clear. Like, six months from now. Corey Anderson could be that man on top of the mountain. He's got one hell of a fight against Nemkov. I mean, the same opportunity for Corey to be recognized in that way is there for Nemkov to be recognized as the best 205er on the planet, too, in this fight. It's a great fight. In this one, I'm definitely leaning towards Corey Anderson. I just think between these two, Anderson's going to have the ability to control where this fight takes place. And that's why he's my pick in the co-main event to become the new uh, light heavyweight champion of Bellator. I was kind of surprised that he's a betting underdog. Wow. I would put a little money on a little Anderson Pitbull parlay. I mean, my Korean zombie uh, uh, Aljamain um, Burns parlay didn't work out. But uh, I'll put a little money on the underdog parlay at the top of Bellator 277. So if you went with a, a two-fighter parlay, $100 uh, of Patricio Pitbull and Corey Anderson plus 788. Not bad. I, I would, I would, I would like that. I would, I would take a piece of that pie and then I would put five thousand dollars on Aaron Pico to win to get back thirty three. <laughs> All right. So if you made a three fighter parlay with Aaron Pico, I think my odds just go down. <laughs> uh, it goes up a little bit. Eight plus eight seventy seven. Okay. Yeah. That, wouldn't that be crazy if the, those two fights happen and then Pico <laughs> drops the fight against Adley Edwards? <laughs> I mean, look, this Aaron Pico is still must watch television. It, it's going to be interesting. Is my gut feeling says if AJ McKee wins on Friday night, he will move permanently up to 155, and Aaron Pico's next fight will be for the vacant 145 pound title. What do we just do, Pico Pitbull? Adam Borax, they, they've said, will be next for the 145 pound title. Maybe uh, do mind. maybe do Borax and Pico again. 
Yeah, you're right. You're right. That would that would probably make a lot of sense. And you could put Pitbull against Jeremy Kennedy. Uh, um, if that's how it plays out. I mean, look, I think Lynn Vassell's fighting for a heavyweight title shot against Tim Johnson. I don't know if that's going to be the most exciting fight in the world or not. Uh, you know, Tyrell Fortune's a part of this card. Uh, also, I'll mention uh, Bobby Serrano the third. He's making his second professional fight. I had a chance to catch up with him. Uh, you can check that out over uh, that interview over at the MMAReport.com, also on the MMA Report YouTube channel. Uh, Kyle Crusher and Michael Lombardo is an interesting matchup. Uh, you got the former Bellator middleweight champion, Rafael Carvel, who's on this card as well. Uh, but overall, I think it's, it's a solid Bellator card on Friday night. And then, of course, on Saturday, I mean, look, you know, we don't need to have an article of five reasons why to watch a UFC card on Saturday. You just need uh, one reason. And that's the main event, the rematch between Luke and, and Muhammad. And uh, Muhammad has been on a roll, man. And, and I think he's going to keep it going here. Yeah, I mean, look, flashback to the first time these two guys fight, fought, what, five, six, seven years ago. Things were not going well for Muhammad in that fight. I mean, he got he got put away early on. He got dropped on the feet, and, and that's how he lost to Vicente Luque. Man, this is this is a freaking great fight because not only is Muhammad performing well, but Vicente Luque has been on a run too, bro. Like, Luque has won, since he fought Leon Edwards, he has won, I want to say, 10 of his next 11 fights. And a lot of those fights have been finished. You know, the fight against Woodley was, was, ele- was elementary. I mean, this is a freaking great fight. Uh, between him and Muhammad, I, I think Muhammad, there's a lot of value there as, as for him in that underdog spot. But I'm leaning towards Luke in this fight. Yeah, I think he's got to use his grappling. By the way, that was UFC 205, headlined by Conor McGregor versus Eddie Alvarez. Conor McGregor's only won one MMA fight since then. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's crazy that it's been 70-some events since that fight, but, you know. Man, Alvarez lost a. I, I feel like Eddie Alvarez probably only won one fight since then too. Uh, let's pull up Eddie Alvarez Wikipedia. So since UFC 205, he has won two fights. Jeez, Louise, that's depressing as hell. Yeah, one one in the UFC and one in one championship. Eddie Alvarez has not won a fight since August of 2019. Wow. Yeah, is it's been a it's been a rough go for all Eddie Alvarez in one FC, and he's not the only one. He's getting that bag though, baby. <laughs> Yeah, he certainly is. He certainly is. <laughs> Sometimes getting that bag can be a little more important. It is not a little more. It's a whole lot more important to get your bank account feeling pretty nice and fat. I will tell you the fight that could steal the show on Saturday, Miguel Baeza and Andre Fihil. Yeah, Baeza is always awesome to watch. I agree with you. That's that's a that's a really good fight. I uh, I'm looking forward to that one. I think uh you know, I, I like watching William Knight fight. He's taking on Devin Clark and, you know, those and that's guys. A, could, and that's at heavyweight. Yeah, those guys, those guys could put on a good one if it's not boring. Uh, you know, Jakar Close and, and Brandon Jenkins is another one. This this card sucks, though, to be honest with you. I am not looking forward to watching all 77 of these fights. Like, this is one of those fight cards where you know it's in the apex without <laughs> looking at the location. You just got to... <laughs> You just, you're not wrong, bro. You are not wrong. You just got to look at the fight card. And, yo, no, I mean, like, honestly, man, the second best fight in terms of, I don't even know. I guess the second best fight has to be that Philo Baeza fight. Yeah, that would be my number two yeah. fight, yeah. Yeah, this fight's rough. Oh, ooh, 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 Chris Barnett. Barnett uh, and, and Boudet, that, that would probably be, I would, that, I'd make that my number third fight. I mean, look, this is to be on the main card. What the hell are they doing here? These are just from some fights, bro. 
these are just some fights. They literally booked all these fights, and there was no thought into where this placement should be. Chris Barnett should be on the main card. He's the one who's most likely to be featured on Sports Center after this card's over. Oh, no question. I mean, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. All you got to do is look at the fight card and go, yep, they ain't selling any tickets. <laughs> yeah, and so that's kind of going to be the trend, I think, out of the UFC until we get back on pay-per-view, I feel like. Oh, font there. Well, like, Dana, so Dana had mentioned in the post-fight press conference, he labeled seven cities they're looking to go to in the U.S., Boston, Salt Lake City, Seattle. God, where else did he say? He named like seven cities. They're getting back to... A quote, I, I, you know, I just don't think they'll ever, I still think majority fight night cards still end up in, in the apex. Cause I think it's just so financially beneficial to them. Yeah. It's financially beneficial. You pay a bunch of people 10 and 10 and you know, I mean, just, I, I think unless like all of a sudden you have some cities that are basically saying, Hey, UFC, we're willing to pay you to come to our city. Yeah. Like Houston did. And, and I just think it, it's, it, it's a, uh, there's pros and cons of these types of fight cards because the con is the fact that we're going to watch this and a lot of these fights aren't particularly interesting. But the pro is because these fight cards aren't littered with good fights, the pay-per-views are just unreal. Right? Right. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, that's been a, that's been something that's been a positive since the pandemic started is literally every pay-per-view has been stacked if you're a fan of mixed martial arts. You know, I, I saw someone mention this on on Twitter today about Bellator and basically saying how much being on a premium cable network is probably killing their promotion in terms of people like, I mean, bro, it's Tuesday night. We're recording this. Like I feel like there is zero buzz for their fight card on Friday and it's a great fight card. Yeah. Yeah. There's certainly a major difference between Bellator's like footprint on just a conversation from where they are now to where they were when they were on spike TV back in the day, you know, that, and it's, and back in the day, back when they were on spike TV, more people were watching uh, television. And, and so let's that be honest, was another thing. And their roster is a hundred times better now. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a hundred times better. The product is pretty damn good too. It's improved. It's just a matter of the distribution. Yeah, <laughs> no, you, you are not wrong, bro. I mean, it's, Oh man, I, I kind of feel bad for some of these fires. I mean, like, I, I feel like like this card on Friday, like, would be a perfect card for CBS. An AJ McKee fight, Corey Anderson, former UFC fighter. Yeah, Aaron I'm Pico. still I'm still kind of surprised they have not found their way on the CBS. I know, I know, man. It's uh, it's something crazy because it's it's what they need to do to get that get that buy in from people who aren't aware that they exist. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, let's play the final interview here on this week's episode of the podcast. And it's going to be with Kai Kamaka III. Of course, he's going to be looking for his fourth Bellator win. Of course, returned to Bellator at the end of last year. He's going to be taking on Justin Gonzalez. Here's my conversation with Kai Kamaka III. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is the man we're going to see back inside the Bellator cage, Kai Kamaka III. Kai, it's always a appreciate time. I was going through your Instagram um, feed, and there was one post you had, and the part, the first part of it was fighting is life. When did you realize fighting was your life? Um, I don't know how familiar you are with MMA, but MMA, uh, my uncle Ray Cooper. And like he kind of started us all off, um, not all off, but like he he was a f- 
front, um, like the pioneer of MMA Hawaii and in our family. And that was like back in 1997. And I'm two years old at that time, or maybe even 94, maybe even before 1994. Before, I mean, early 90s, Super Brawl. I don't know if you're familiar with Super Brawl and Icon Sport, um, TJ Thompson. And that's how long I've been around MMA. That's how long I've been watching MMA. And that's how long I knew, known that I was going to be an MMA fighter. Do, is there, like, early on in your life, do you remember, like, watching a fight? Oh, 100%. I mean, my, um, yeah, I just remember watching. I remember fights all the time. Um, I remember, like, some of the biggest fights. I remember, I mean, People, people say like they were they always knew they were a fighter. Like I knew I was a male fighter from the very beginning. Um, just because I'm not undefeated doesn't mean I didn't know that. Uh, you know, like uh, I, I was gonna, I was always gonna be a fighter. Me and my cousin Ray, um, this is all we wanted to do, and um, I this is I, that's all we've ever seen. Um, you know, uh, so people don't like. I mean. I seen my uncle Ray fight Antonio McKee in Hawaii, um, and stuff. Um, guy, guys like that, Jake Shields, Hermes Franca. Um, those are like these. Some of these names, guys don't even know, um, like nowadays. You know, like from that era. Like in terms of like you know the 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 analogy you hear in the fight game is you you got to love this thing. If you don't love this thing, this ain't for you. Um, what was it? An instant love for you because of you know martial arts being a family business, or, or did it take time? Oh, it's kind of normal. I mean, I just come from a very competitive family, and um, I think fighting is the ultimate form of competition. So um, this is yeah, this is all this is all normal. This is all normal to me. This is. Um, and I'm not even like just in that, I'm just saying that like it's not even nothing is new about this. Uh, I was watching my like my uncle, uh, my uncle, my uncle's fight um, all the time in the biggest fights, biggest fights that people would um, for like almost no money. Um, so it's um, so it's 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 crazy to see. Like, I remember walking out with my. Like uncle and like Rum on the Rock, like um, against Ryan Schultz mm-hmm. and Justin Gonzalez. That's one of his coaches. You know, he he probably didn't even see that fight. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So I mean, it's it's kind of it's I it's, it's yeah. This is all normal. I mean, I don't know. I don't know anything else. So, like, like if I wasn't doing this, I'd still be doing this. It's hard to say anything else. Speaking of those competitive juices, is that every aspect of your life? Like, if you and your lady are sitting down playing a board game, that competitive juices is just as high. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the way we do everything. Everything is like kind of here. Even like family functions, we're playing games, we want to win. And indeed, you need. I feel like that's all healthy. You need that in order to stay competitive in your real life. You know. And of course, you got a, a big matchup here, uh, taking on Justin Gonzalez, going back to Hawaii. I mean, uh, first off, you know, obviously you get the ranked opponent you were looking for, and and just fighting back in Hawaii is that just icing on the cake? Uh, yeah, um, fighting in Hawaii is actually fighting in Hawaii is good, so it's convenient, whatever. But fighting a ranked opponent is the icing on the cake. 
in terms of you mentioned about, you know, there is kind of a, a long-term connection between you and Justin. I mean, were you scouting Justin even before you got this fight? No. Um, no, I, not really. <laughs> I mean, I try, I fight, I try to fight the best. I fight the best. In, like I'm trying to fight the best every, every weekend, you know, like every chance that I get. So, I mean, if Justin's part of that group, then I'm going to fight you. Um, that's just, that's all it is. As you evaluate him as opponent, what, what sticks out to you? Is there, is there something, is, is there one thing about his game that just, you know, whether it impresses you or just you sit there and say, hey, man, this is what he does well? Um, No. <laughs> no, it does not. Like, and no, I, I mean, I train with, like, my, my, my home team. I've trained with great wrestlers. I trained with Ray Cooper. Uh, my cousin Blake Cooper is a national champ uh, wrestler. I treat my train my main training partners. Wrestler, they see he's a wrestler, right? Jeremy Kennedy, Mads Burnell. Um, I've trained with Aljamain Sterling. Um, I've trained with a lot of good wrestlers, and then I trained with a lot of good strikers. Um, so I mean, that's on me to find those guys. I mean, to train with those guys, right? To prepare me, and I train. So I train with good guys, and I train with the best of the best at what they do. So, um, no, I mean, that's, that's, I, I'm not worried. I mean, I, nothing sticks out to me. I'm worried about being my best at that day. Is that kind of always been your mindset? You know, you hear fighters talk about like, there, there's these points maybe more early on in your career where you focus so much about your opponent and, and what your opponent does. And there just becomes a point where it's like, nah, man, I, I gotta, I gotta worry about myself. Is that kind of your mindset of like, man, this is, this is about me. It's not about him. Yeah, every 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 day, every day I practice it's about what I gotta get better at, and and that's that's how it is. If he's worried about my last film, he's got it all wrong, um, because I fought a a southpaw, um, counter striker who was gonna run away the whole time, and in my fight before that, I fought a right-handed calf kicker who I beat with a calf kick. And then I fought TJ. Well, he just, if you fight, if you, and I'm just way better than every fight. I get better every fight. So if you fought, if you, if you watch my last footage, you already got it wrong because I'm, I fought the way I fought in that fight because the skill set that was presented in that fight and, um, from that fighter and what I had at that time. I made leaps and bounds already. It, you it, can ask my closest training partners how much I get better, and they'll tell you. It makes me think about, you know, as you look at what, say, the last 12, 24 months have been for you as a martial artist, when you think about where you are today as opposed to where you were two years ago, is there something that sticks out to you in the difference you see in yourself as a martial artist? Yeah, my eyes, my vision. Um, that, that takes And that takes quality partners in a gym that you got to face. That takes quality fights. That takes meaningful fights. And then... That takes yeah, hard like sparring rounds, um, and the right people around you to see to kind of guide you to what you should be seeing or what are things that you might not be seeing. And I feel like I have the right coaches to tell me what I like on things, you know, to um, work on things. But I also have the right uh, training partners to push me to make me to keep me honest. And then I have the right mindset I, um, of, of getting better. Um, 
and ever evolving. So that's that's where that's where it all lies. And of course, everyone's going to be able to see us fight here. Bellator 279, April the 23rd, of course, live on Showtime from Hawaii. Kai, as always, man, I appreciate time. Uh, of course, I love it. Another thing, fight on social media. Anything else you want to mention, man? Uh, no, I mean, just tune in. Um, so, yeah, just tune in. Tune in. I mean, it's going to be it's gonna be a good one. So, I'm very excited. And I cannot wait to fight. fight. I cannot wait to fight. Um, I cannot wait to fight. And be ranking Bellator come what a week and a half, <laughs> or you know, yeah, the week a little in two weeks. That new that new ranking come out, really ranked. That's it. And that was my conversation with Kai Kamaka III. Appreciate him taking some time out of his day to talk to me. By the way, Justin Gonzalez will be on the podcast next week. Also on the podcast next week will be Yancey Medeiros actually talking to Yancey tomorrow. So uh, looking forward to that conversation. I'll tell you, I got a a bunch of interviews uh, lined up here. So be on the lookout uh, for that as well. Uh, Nainoa Dung, that that interview will be coming out uh, here a little bit uh, later on this week, so be on the lookout for that. He'll be a part of that Bellator card next Saturday. Of course, Bellator's got two events next week. If they got the Friday car, which is their fight for the troops show, that's going to be the one that's headlined by uh, Liz Carmouche fighting for the title against Juliana Velasquez. And, of course, on Saturday, you got Chris Cyborg and Arlene Blinko. So uh, that'll be next weekend. But, uh, you know, Daniel, a little news on on Tuesday. Cain Velasquez, his plea hearing was delayed, pushed back to May the 6th, his counsel. Uh, They're really trying to push him to get released. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of lawyers about this one, Daniel. And I feel like the MMA community is not looking at the legal side of the story. Yeah, what 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 episode of the podcast was it where you talked to your attorney? About f- uh, three, four weeks ago. Yeah, that was a really enlightening conversation that kind of clues you in on the realistic possibilities of where this goes next for Velasquez. I just like, you know, Chris Dawkins talked about it a couple weeks ago as a former cop. Like, folks, Kane Velasquez is doing jail time. I don't know how he beats the gun charges. I mean, at the end of the day, and, and Frankie has this line. He says to me all the time, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. I don't know how Kane's attorneys are going to be able to get past these gun charges of him chasing down someone and shooting from his car to another car. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough pill, and it's a tough pill for anyone to swallow because, like, everyone who sees this story, so many of us kind of understand the point of view of Kane, obviously it's horrifying it's horrifying and and that's why he has so much support but when you when this gets put in a courtroom man he has got a lot of things that are against him the the clear proof of his actions which put a lot of people in danger you know it's just uh it's one of the saddest stories we've seen in such a long time the only way is if this thing goes to trial, you just have people say, I'm not convicting this guy. Yeah, regardless of the facts. like They just they sit there and say, I'm not convicting this guy. I just don't know how he beats the gun charges. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, is, is probably going to give him a pretty significant punishment. So, yeah. And I don't think he gets released on bail. I really don't. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I feel like that kind of set the tone when he requested that bail and it was denied earlier so yeah it's uh it sucks man 
And I had people say, like, they were like, look, from a legal aspect, no one should be surprised as bail was denied. Mm-hmm. Kane went out there and did what every father said they would do. Without a doubt. He just acted upon it. And the way it, he acted upon it put himself in a bad position because he did it out in public. I don't have kids, but like when this story, when it happened, my wife looked at me and she was like, if someone did that to your nieces or nephews, you wouldn't do the same thing. I go, well, I don't have a gun, but would I go after them? Yeah, I would. I would. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the unthinkable thing that you would never think would happen to someone. And if it happens to them, like all you got to think about is, you know, some type of consequence for the person that did it. And when you see that that consequence isn't happening fast, you got to act upon it. It's just natural instinct. Yeah. Kane put out a statement on Tuesday uh, on his social media. So obviously this was written by his lawyer. His, his legal team is the one who wrote this. Let's just be honest about it. this. Isn't Kane sitting, you know, you know, behind bars, you know, put someone hand on a phone. This, this was put out by his, his legal team where it says, quote, to everyone that has expressed your support, my family and I will never be able to thank you enough from the bottom of our hearts and the depths of our souls. We are grateful for your love, your selfless gestures, and the kind words have given me strength in the darkest times. This story is complex and slowly unraveling as we speak to the true victims of this case. May God give you the strength to come forward, though it is most difficult to relive the pain that has happened to you in speaking the truth. Justice will be served and your own true healing can start. I will never stop helping or loving my community and all of you. Thank you for loving me here. You know what my takeaway from that, that uh, statement was what's that trying to get people to come out and speak about what's happened to them. Yep. Yep. I, I think so. Yeah. To, to but yeah, yeah, like, I, I just, I don't know how he beats the gun charges. I really, I, that, that to me is the one that I just, I feel like that's like those charges that he's not, you know, he's just not going to be able to beat. Yeah. I hope he figures out some way to get out, but I agree with you. I think when you look at the, the possibility of that happening, it's, it looks pretty razor thin. I just think it's unlikely. I really do. By the way, you see Caesar Gracie's coming out and saying, uh, look for a Nick Diaz fight by the end of the year. I don't yeah, I really see don't, that. I really don't want to see that. That's yeah. what we saw against Robbie. Uh, it just looked bad, man. It looked bad and sad, you know. But I'll probably I'll still watch it. But it, it wasn't. Uh, he didn't look himself. Like, he just looked like he didn't want to be there. You saying you're gonna watch? Does that really say much? No, I watched most things. Right? I like, mean, come on. Yeah. We we watched some fights. I mean, I mean, come on. We you know back in the day we watched Kimbo slice down to five thousand. <laughs> and Hoist Gracie and Ken Shamrock. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. You know, I watched James Tony take on Randy Couture. You know, we've seen the circus. I remember where I watched James Tony Randy Couture. I don't. I don't remember. I was at a bar. I know, shocking. <laughs> yeah, shocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're out. And you're watching, set. going, like, no way, no way. Yeah, what a what a shocker! He took him down and beat him in a minute. Yeah, PFL's back next week. We'll see if they've got betting odds on the fights. That'll be interesting to see if uh, any sports book offer uh, up odds on that one. If they don't, oof, that is not a good look. Yeah, hopefully they can get through the damn week without another awful news story. <laughs> look at you just throwing the curse out there. <laughs> I mean, I'm praying for him, man. I feel for him at this point. They've uh, they've they've yeah. not done well in the PR cycle in the offseason of the PFL, other than of course re-signing Kayla Harrison. Kudos to them on that. But yeah. 
Yeah. I remember last Thursday I was looking, there was no betting odds and uh, yeah, I put something on, on Twitter and I got a couple responses and it was basically like, yeah, there's no odds out there. And I'm like, man, that is a bad look as a sporting event in 2022. If you don't have odds on you somewhere. Ooh, that's not good. That is not good. Yeah. I can probably bet on like a, like a horse racing competition in Azerbaijan right now, but if I can't bet on the number two MMA promotions card, dude, that, I'm, that. before the show, I'm watching MLB Network, and they literally now have a show on MLB Network that is talking about what props to play on MLB Network, not ESPN, <laughs> not Fox Sports One, a network owned by the league. They're literally yeah. they 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 had someone going through their best props of the night. I'm like, good lord, like wow. I know. Sponsored by Pete Rose. It is interesting where we have come in the last four years. It's not surprising, though, because uh, it's uh, following the money is what is happening. If there wasn't that financial incentive, we would not be where we are today. Well, think about how, how often you see on a UFC broadcast, there's a tweet comes out about what, you know, some gigantic bet that has been laid down somewhere. On every UFC pay-per-view, without a doubt. Yeah, it, it's at DraftKings Sportsbook. Just tweet out this guy just this person just laid a ten thousand dollar bet on X Y Z. Yeah, yeah, and you know it's it's all about the money, man. It's all about the sponsorships from the betting companies uh, and, and the kickbacks you get from that. Yeah, man, it's 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 crazy, man. It's absolutely crazy. But that is going to do it for this week's edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, appreciate everyone taking time out of their day to download and listen to this episode of the podcast. Coming up on next week's episode of the podcast, I'll be joined by Yancy Medeiros, also Justin Gonzalez. So look out for that next week on the podcast. Of course, uh, do us a big favor, hit that follow, subscribe, rate, review, or whatever it is on your podcasting platform. This help us out a ton. So that's going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast, which comes out every week on your favorite podcasting platform and radioinfluence.com. 